Welcome to How High Can You Jump? My name is Carter May and I'm a 17-year-old high school junior. Over the past few years, adults have asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? Pretty straightforward question that should be easy to answer, right? Well, it's not. At least it's not for most high schoolers. As it turns out, I've given it some thought and I do have an idea of what I want for my future and ultimately what I'll do when I grow up. So I'm on a mission to learn more. Join me as I have conversations with people whom I respect and admire, am inspired by, and am genuinely interested in learning more about their professional life story. We'll talk about what they studied in college, the twists and turns of their career path, and what they're doing today. I hope their stories inspire you so you have more confidence in answering the age-old question, what do you want to do when you grow up? Hey listeners, Carter May here. Today we have Jeff Berry, who has worked as as a managing director at a number of wealth management firms in Silicon Valley throughout his career as an investment banker. He also played baseball at Santa Clara University and is an avid sports fan. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks, Carter. It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm really eager to learn more about your professional experience and how you become so successful. Are you ready to get started? Sure. All right, here we go. So the first question that probably me and a lot of our listeners have is we're all in high school and we're trying to figure out this whole college process right now. So I'm wondering what was one of your main interests or what did you really want to do when you were in high school? Um, I never really had a grand plan. I think I knew pretty clearly there were certain um, careers that were not interesting to me. I knew medicine was not a field that yeah. I had any you know particular affinity or um, skills in. I was not going to be an engineer. Um, I've always been an avid reader. Um, you know, so the liberal arts was a natural place that I would have gravitated towards. Of course. My father was a history major. And um, even at that stage, as kind of as vague and opaque my plans might have been, I thought I would go into business. Okay. And my father was a money manager. And and so, you know, long th- long story short, I just pretty much fell into history. It was something that I was interested in. And as I thought, it was a good field for later getting an MBA, which was always kind of the game plan. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I, you talked a little about, about your dad being a little bit of the influence. Is there any sort of, I mean, beside your dad, peer, like counselor, teacher, somebody who was kind of there that, that guided you to figure out what you really wanted to do? No. Um, I don't think I had a, I had a grandfather, my maternal grandfather I was extremely close to, and he and my father would have been the two biggest influences I think as on a male basis in my life. Um, you know, I had a good football coach, but he certainly wouldn't have been viewed as a nurturing one. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't think I really had anybody to help me in that way. Okay. Uh, and then I understand that you're a really, really good baseball player and football player as well. Um, and we all have this question of selecting colleges and stuff like that. And we're all going kind of through that that process right now, me and the listeners. So I'm wondering with baseball, how did you select colleges, whether you had multiple offers and you had to figure it out like that or you applied like all of the rest of us? Yeah, so it's it's impossible, I think, for your generation to relate to what it was like you know, 45 years ago when I was at that stage, um, we were the latchkey kids, the, you know, Gen X, um, tremendous amount of freedom, very lack of oversight, did not have helicopter parents. Um, my parents, uh, my parents never looked at an application, you know, draft that I wrote, any essays I wrote, probably in hindsight, that might've been a good idea in at least one case, but, um, it was not an organized process. Um, I never, we never I only knew one one person who ever took tutoring uh, for the SATs. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I remember, and this is embarrassing to say, but I remember when I took the SAT in a huge cafeteria at Lincoln High School in San Francisco, I was really pl- proud that I was the first one to leave the room. You know, there are probably 400 yeah. people there. <laughs> and for some reason, I thought that was something to be proud of that I yeah, finished yeah, first. I don't think that first. was the objective of the test. So so I, uh, anyway, just, I, I had some preliminary interest from a few Ivy League schools to play football, as well as some D1 big time programs. But I really wanted to stay closer to home, and I only applied to three colleges, Cal, Stanford, and Santa Clara. There you go. Um, I think that's pretty hilarious because now you have kids who are applying to 16, 20 colleges with a counselor and all this stuff. It's just it's so much different than what it was back then. Um, another question, I mean, you kind of already emphasized a little bit about uh, your decision to go to history route and kind of why you decided to go history because your dad was a history major. Um, we have a question a little bit on how you kind of pivoted that that history major into an MBA in graduate school or we could also ask the question on why. Why did you? Yeah. So again, the history major, and again, I did not have a really clear game plan, but I, th- I think having a, something broader understanding that, and history is a, um, I, the intention was to get an MBA even from the beginning. So yeah. history is like, what do you do undergrad before you do that? Of course. And uh, I do think, you know, you learn a lot of history. I think actually it's fair if you wanted to check all the great investors in the world in the yeah. last century. Virtually none of them are accountants. Hmm. Uh, none of them are bean counters or mathematics hmm. people, although the quantitative investing style certainly lends itself to the mathematics type. But the great investors, the Warren Buffetts of the world, they're conceptual big picture thinkers is how they kind of work into their analysis. And so history is a great background for that. Wow. Okay. Um, and then I, I was obviously scrolling through all your LinkedIn stuff, and I realized that you went straight from undergraduate school straight to graduate school. So I kind of have a question around that. I've seen with a lot of other people, not just in business, that they go kind of, they have their little three-year stretch between that they have some work experience or internship or whatever it is uh, between. So I'm kind of wondering what kind of prompted you to be that eager to go on to graduate school straight away? So already in my time, it was pretty much expected you were going to have work experience. And it was more difficult to get into a business school if you didn't have work experience. I met my now wife of 40 years uh, in college, my sophomore year, and basically um, realized that if we didn't go forward in graduate school, immediately I might not never go because, you know, kids come along and all of a sudden think it's too hard. Yeah. So we both were applied to graduate schools. We both got into, um, she was getting her master's in science and physical therapy. And I was applying to the MBA program. We both got into Duke and USC and we picked USC. So it was really more, and it turned out to be a great decision. Our second year, we had a surprise baby yeah. delivered. And again, I probably would never have gotten an MBA if I'd waited longer. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Uh, so then we kind of go into your career. Uh, your first first job was Bank of America Securities. Uh, kind of just tell me a little bit about your day-to-day at Bank of America Securities. So uh, this was the time of the Masters of the Universe. There's a great book, if, if you want to read it, called Liar's Poker, about the fixed income desk, the government bond desks of Solomon Brothers in the 1980s. But this was a time where the, the bond kings were you know, ruling the financial world. And Bank of America had started a um, training program like the other Wall Street firms did for kind of incoming people on the bond desk or the bond business. And so I managed through a friend to get myself an interview at the accounting department at uh, Bank of America Capital Markets. And this woman who I interviewed with briefly in that area of the bond desk looked at me and she said, you know, I really don't see you working here as an accountant, but I took a look at your resume and I hope you don't mind, but I sent her over the head of sales and so I've got an interview after this. So I met okay. with him and then he had me meet like six people. And next thing you know, I got hired and that's where I got started. Wow. Okay. So 
as you kind of built that role as a managing director, I mean, you go through, of course, ups and downs throughout those 18 years. But uh, give me some of the few key achievements, some of the challenges that you faced on being that managing director, whether it's managing teams, being a part of these kind of protocols when it comes to investments. Yeah. So I always led from, you know, the front, I kind of developed an expertise in the area. I was working on the, in the primary dealership and got comfortable, you know, being very productive and having people working with me and ultimately working for me that, you know, I knew more than they did. I was, you know, probably the best at what I was doing within that group. Then I made a big move, which was very hard for me. And I did it intentionally about 10 years in to join an entirely different group, which was basically doing project financings, which is very complex, highly structured, using a very different part of your brain than I'd been using the prior 10 years as to run a group doing that. And all of a sudden being thrown in a situation where I was actually managing people that knew a lot more than I did about it. Mm -hmm. And so I knew heading in, that was going to be a very difficult year or two. And it was, I got a lot out of it. It was very good for me developmentally, but it was not easy to do that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then, I mean, 18 years at Bank of America, you're going, trugging along through your career. I mean, um, what kind of sparked your change in environment? Environment. Why did you Why did you decide to depart from Bank of America and lead on to your next chapter of your career? Yeah. So, I, I, from a resume perspective, it appears that the eighteen years was kind of like drifting along. I would tell you the amount of acquisitions that we went through in corporate reorganizations almost okay. every couple of years. It was a very tumultuous environment. And one of the things that I feel very strongly, and I would want your listeners to kind of lock into, is the importance of continuing to develop skills and to be relevant. And uh, rather than just climb a corporate ladder to serve an organization, to keep doing different things. So I had hopped around in numerous different jobs during that period. And again, there was always a lot at that level of being a managing director, there's usually people gunning for you. So um, it was a lot of change at the 18 years. And so finally, I got to a point in 2003 that I was reporting to somebody in New York that I realized was untenable, that mm-hmm. at some point in time it was going to blow up. And yeah. I was unlikely to be the the, the, the victor on that. So yeah. I <laughs> I ended up making making a move with the team to a, a smaller uh, boutique investment bank to do something similar. Nice. Okay. Um, and then I guess this question kind of ladders off into it, but um, do you, like truly from an opinion, uh, an opinion standpoint, do you think that, Uh, staying at a company for kind of like a more like a longer tenure is advantageous compared to pursuing opportunities from other companies when they come along? I think it's important to keep building your skills. You know, I think it's important to deliver. I think some people get to never perform and show that they've actually accomplished something, which I think is a problem. But again, within B of A, I had numerous careers. I mean, at least five, maybe more, depending how you want to define it. And so my growth and my acquisition of new skills was kind of happening. So I don't think that really matters. I will tell you, I know, obviously, there's nothing wrong with turnover and having different jobs. When I see a resume, there is kind of a, a bit of a feel sometimes if somebody keeps hopping from job to job, why should an employer be interested in hiring them if they're going to leave after 12 months? Yeah. So, but you got to give people opportunities and people should do whatever is the best interest of their careers and their lives. Yeah. Okay. Well, Let's see. And then after that, you you went, went on to a few other businesses within, this, within that next like 10, 12 years. I mean- uh, Yeah, the real key thing was I, when I left B of A, I went to a smaller firm. It was an affiliate of Silicon Valley Bank that did yes. investment banking work. And then from there, I went to a boutique uh, investment bank that only did mobile and wireless deals. It was okay. great, but it had a great mind share with Sand Hill and venture capitalists. 
And, uh, but I'd always had the path of not taking temptation to my dad in the money management business. Yeah, and yeah. so I ended up joining a friend's firm in 2010 to actually was a real career change. It was mm -hmm. rather than being transactional investment banking, I was actually managing people's money. So that was a big move in 2010 for me. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what did you, what did you kind of learn from that experience between Bank of America and now at Lyell? Like that little time frame in between what, what, what did you learn from it? But also what kind of experience from Bank of America did you push to use towards that? Well, I was doing what I did at Bank of America. My last job at B of A was basically doing equity private placements, raising private capital for um, companies that needed it. So okay. not, not IPOs, but basically private equity. And so I was doing the same thing at uh, both the Silicon Valley Bank, um, the Silicon Valley Bank affiliate, as well as the Rutberg one. Mm -hmm. I was just more in the weeds. I was more, you know, I had smaller teams. I was more personally involved in a lot of deals. Yeah. So I think that was good. I think I'm a doer rather than a manager at the end of the day. And Love so that. that's what I yeah. did. Okay. There we go. How did you, how did you become an effective and really like changed leader? How did you make change within your managing director role that you've that you've had throughout your whole career? How have you really pushed your skills, values to to pursue this career? Well, I'm taking on different things. Again, I think that's important. Rather than getting too vertically focused and looking for promotions to move up in the organization, I did consciously several times counter when I was proposed offered a promotion, saying yeah. instead of this, how about I do this? And yeah. it was actually a parallel move rather than a, a moving up in the organization. I think that benefited me in the long long run because I knew more about more things that mm -hmm. kind of get, get stitched together into um, more impact. Yeah. Okay. So who were some of these people in your career that you thought you could rely on the most, whether they were in your team, whether they were coworkers, stuff like that, or, uh, and then on the, on the flip side of things, who were some of the people that you looked up to maybe mentors within your business, outside of your business that you, that you really endured to become? I never really had what I would describe as a mentor in my businesses. I was kind of, you know, figuring out myself. Um, there were moments in time where certainly an individual had a big impact. Um, when Bank of America and Nations Bank were merging in 2008, that was a colossal financial services merger. Um, I had told my boss at the time I was not interested in keeping my job. Yeah. I was prepared to take my package and go. And I was on vacation in Hawaii. I got a call from a guy named Doug Pratt who, uh, offered me a job to go do the technology, a technology job down in Palo Alto. And that was a whole wonderful time. I wouldn't have described Doug as a mentor, but he had was one level above me in management and had, uh, you know, tapped me for that. So that was a big moment for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then another question I kind of have, which is a little bit broader, but I think it really hones down on who you truly are. Uh, when we think of why we work, I think it's more on the values and motivation on why we work. So I think uh, my question to you is what values and motivation do you really, do you work for? What is, what is truly the end all be all <laughs> of why you work? I, first of all, I believe we as humans are made to work. I have a very strong belief that, you know, we get, can get great fulfillment from our work and it's a real shame if people don't have that realization. So I think work is just by itself good. Um, when I was a kid, I always worked, I raking leaves, walking dogs. It was maybe a generational thing, but even though I was playing sports, you know, I, in the meantime, I'd be working winter vacations, working summer vacations, et cetera. Um, I'm very lucky now in the fact I love what I do. And that's really true since I started um, this business at Atherton Lane Advisors in Lyle. 
And, uh, you know, the old Jordan Davis song, buy dirt, do what you love and call it work. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the beauty. And I think for people, your generation is try to lock into some career that you can actually really enjoy. And I really enjoy what I do right now. Yeah. And so I know you're a big faithful guy, big Christian guy. Um, I'm wondering kind of somehow some of these, these values from your faith have, have connected or corresponded with the business and work that you've done throughout your career. Yeah, um, it definitely in my business, which is heavily trust, is a big part in integrity. Um, you know, there's a lot of scumbags who call themselves <laughs> Christians and they do it just yeah. to, you know, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, the old characters, what you do when nobody's looking, yeah. you know, that's really important thing to internalize. And I think um, over time, working with people, you earn trust, and um, you know, living a Christ-centered life is something that I think is helpful with that. It brings you back to what what's really important. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's really special that you have that. Um, there's another kind of area that we want to, that we want to pinpoint is probably my listeners as well is, I mean, you've been working in Silicon Valley Bay area for your entire career. And I'm wondering some of the benefits of working in the Bay area more than somewhere else, whether it's mm-hmm. connections, the compensation, whatever it is, you know, yeah. So just on that last point, I just want to say one thing that I've yeah. always, I've, since I was your age, I've, I've believed and I've continued to follow. And I would strongly encourage your listeners to think about this, which is as you make decisions, major decisions in your life, always think about what it's going to be like to be 80, 85 years old, looking back on your life and what are the decisions you're making? How are you going to feel about those decisions? Right. And that really can be a very grounding way to think about, you know, your priorities. Of course. Yeah. So I think the benefits of being here is just unbelievable. I mean, this has been in the last 20 plus years, the center of the global economy. Yeah. And there are so many people here that are instrumental in in making that happen. And it is a big network. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a, it's impossible to kind of get your arms around. And so living in Atherton, working in Menlo Park or in, in San Francisco and Palo Alto over the years, I've just come in contact with just countless um, globe, you know, best people in the world of what they do stimulating. Uh, you learn things. Um, again, I, I continue to believe knowledge is useful in its own R- without being applied is not even necessary, but just knowing more about more things is, uh, is worthwhile. So I think the contacts have times have been very helpful. And, um, again, it's been v- just an incredibly stimulating place to work. Of course, of course. So now you've made it to our lightning round. Uh, the <laughs> lightning, the lightning word here on our podcast is a little ambiguous. You know, you can really answer them at whatever pace you want. Okay. To. But so here we go. The first one, uh, what's the difference between bank and bank? So B-A-N-C and B-A-N-K. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was something called Glass-Steagall, which separated investment banks and commercial banks. It's no longer relevant, but it was at one point in time. And so any commercial bank that wanted to have certain kinds of investment banking activities could have no um, name that connotated a bank with a K. So Bank of America, when I was there, it was very clear that there was a C by our business cards that we were not part of the bank. Okay. And then, so let's see the next one that this one's a little fun one. What's your uh, best baseball memory? Whether it's high school, you know, (laughs) college, uh, meeting a player that was super cool. Oh, wow. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, You know, I just talking to my colleague the other day who's got a little league son and he's playing a lot of baseball, Mm -hmm. how little I remember of actual, you know, moments. So it's the experience is more important probably than this, you know, how well you're doing. Of course. But I do, I do think of a few things. I would say in terms of cool memories, uh, I went to a dinner probably 10 years ago with Tommy Lasorda when he was in town and I'm not a Dodger fan. 
But that was pretty fun spending a dinner sitting around a table talking with Tommy Lasorda. Yeah, I mean, famous dude. Uh, yeah. So third question we have is another kind of fun one. Well, this actually piggybacks off the last one. I didn't even realize. If you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Jesus Christ. There we go. That's what That's what I thought. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, fourth one, were you involved in, I mean, besides your baseball career in, in college, were you uh, involved in any Greek life or extracurriculars or any intramural sports, anything like Santa that? Santa Clara did not have uh, really a Greek system at the time to speak of. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't play much in the way of intramurals. I did play one season in the football, which went you know, pretty well. I think we lost in the finals. Not really. Okay. 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 So uh, another really fun one is who's your favorite baseball player ever? Just Ooh. out of curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've enjoyed a lot of them. I guess I'd say, you know, Willie McCovey. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then, I mean, just talking about uh, working in the Bay Area and connections and stuff like that. I've, I mean, I'm just now realizing that you, you work in a wealth management firm. What is, what do you think, or who do you think is the like most famous person that you've met working in this business? Whether it's technology, you know, anything it, like that. Yeah. I mean, um, I've met, you know, in my generation and I'm 61, okay. I've met probably almost all of the top venture capitalists on Sand Hill Road at some point in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Um, so it, without, without singling one out, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's hard to do. Okay. Well, you passed our lightning round. Thank God. Um, <laughs> so we, we have this trademark question here on how high can you jump? And it's, uh, I mean, we'll just go, we'll go yeah. straight into it. It's uh, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 17-year-old self? Mm. So this is giving yourself. Yeah. Well, I guess I, what I said earlier, make make major decisions as if you're an old person, man or woman, yeah. looking back. I mean, okay. I think that's a very grounding way to make big decisions in your life. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That's the end. Thanks again, Jeff, thank you, so Carter. much for your time uh, and sharing your experience with me. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today on How High Can You Jump? We hope you enjoyed this insightful conversation as much as we did. If you found value in today's episode, please consider subscribing or leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform. You can also find our video versions on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Can't wait to see you next time on How High Can You Jump?